Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, my aim is for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and a whole lot of joy in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And I have a little confession to make right here at the beginning. One of the things I promise every episode is that you are inspired you get goosebumps, you hear evidence of life after death, you get some positive tools that you can have a powerful life, even a powerful day to day. But here's my confession is these episodes are every bit as much for me as they are for you. I get caught up in the day-to-day doldrums of work and things I'm up to and I forget this whole world of what's possible. So I just want to share and be honest with you that I hope you're inspired, but I hope I'm inspired too, and also our guest, so that each one of us leaves this time together with a huge smile on our faces. So today, I am pleased to introduce you with another extraordinary guest. Her name is Lorraine Gordon. She is a wife, a mother, a seeker, and a teacher. Lorraine has traveled the world studying with enlightened masters. In fact, Deepak Chopra says of Lorraine, Lorraine Gordon is a teacher of infinite possibilities. Lorraine makes her life about helping you have your dreams come true and helps people conquer their struggles. She is an expert in the fields of law of attraction and present moment awareness with hundreds of thousands of people inspired by her messages. Lorraine is the author of Happiness First, Visualization, your key to happiness. It is my honor to introduce you to my friend, the dynamic, loving, fun, and very inspirational Lorraine Gordon. Lorraine, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, thank you. You can probably hear my smile. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are so special, and we met several months ago at a at a convention, it was really interesting because you had sent me an email or a text message or something like that, and I thought, Lorraine Gordon, not the <laughs> Lorraine Gordon, you know, and I look, when you look you up at Twitter, you have hundreds of thousands of followers, and I'm someone who follows your posts because they're always so motivational, and they're always things that, like, in just a few words, you can set me straight on my day and give me some inspiration, so I'm delighted that you're here today. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, finding you at that meeting was just as exciting for me as well. And it was pretty funny. I think I texted you because I saw you, you, but you didn't see me. And then you realized during the meeting that I was sitting in the back of the room. I know. And you said you're wearing a coral top and I turned around (laughs) and there you were. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. Because you're someone I've always looked up to, and then there you were, live in the flesh and writing to me. So, what a gift! (laughs) And we get along pretty well. Yeah, you're fun. So the context of this show, though, Lorraine, is we don't die, and certainly um, at the end, there's you have so much coaching and so much. You're just a wealth of information. But when we had spoke on the phone a couple days ago, you said you have evidence for yourself that we don't die. Would you mind just telling some of your stories of why you believe in life after death? Well, you know, I've had many things happen, but the most profound 
story, the most profound situation that happened to me is um, I was sleeping very comfortably in my bed one morning, uh, probably around 5 a.m. And you know that time just before you wake up where you're kind of in that twilight place? Yes. And I felt the bottom of the bed depress. And in my mind's eye, I saw my father sit on the bed. So I felt this weight on the bed. And he said to me, Lorraine, would you forgive me? And I was not quite sure what was going on, but he crawled up sort of like on top of me, above me, and looked me deep in the eye. His face was inches from mine and said, Lorraine, please forgive me. And I said, I forgive you, Daddy. And this wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 or 15 years, long past the time I called my father Daddy. But such a weight lifted off of my heart and my body at that moment, at that time. And it was unquestionably real, absolutely real. I have no doubt about it. Wow. And obviously there was some forgiveness that needed to happen for you to feel that relief. Well, there definitely was. My journey began, and I think, you know, for anyone that knows my story, they know that I started seeking it around eight or nine years old and reading. But it began because of uh, living in an unsafe household and situation. So I was looking for ways to get safe and ways to create a happier existence. And I found out that I could do that by changing my thoughts, by using the power of my mind. And so my my quest started uh, early because of that reason, because of that unsafe childhood. So, uh, which makes me think this is so important for for everyone to realize that often what looks to be bad turns out to be quite good. Because of that, I've been able to help many other people. Can you say more about that? Because I know there's people right now that are struggling with some tough times and that how something that appears to be bad can end up being good. Right. Well... I think that we have to really understand that we cannot necessarily see the big picture. We don't know because a door seems to close, which will cause us to change our direction. Could it, it might be our career path. It could be our love life. It could be the way we handle or treat our children. Um, it could be our diet because of a health situation. We don't know at that particular moment when everything seems bleak and dim and you feel like a victim, like, why the heck has this happened to me? I'm going along and everything seems great and pow, now I, I have to change that. We have no idea what could be waiting for us around the next corner. This can very well be life's uh, wise way or the universe's infinite wisdom creating our greater good, sending us in the direction of our greater good. And the truth is, you can't fight it anyway. There's no way to fight it. If we spend our time fighting, a, fighting what is, resisting uh, the inevitable things that are actually happening to us, we give up all of our energy to create what we want. And so it's important to say yes to life, say yes to those twists and turns and what seems to be the closed doors, and then use your energy to create what you want from there. I have a real big picture in my mind of a really fast-moving, powerful river 
and how struggles it's just like swimming upstream swimming upstream you get exhausted you keep trying but you're not getting anywhere and to go with the flow even though we're not certain where it's going to take us um the effort and the struggle doesn't have to be there and it sounds like there's some trust involved too that we're going to land at the right place and we're reserving our energy for something so much more important Oh, it's it's so true. And you know the simple little uh, nursery rhyme, row, row, row your boat? Yes, I do. And do you realize that that's ve- an actual, uh, came from a very spiritual being? I did not know that. Yes, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Aha. Uh-huh. Isn't, isn't that interesting? It really is. And you see, when you give up the struggle and the fight, you can relax and accept the beauty of life. While we're so busy struggling under the false assumption that going with the flow is, in a sense, copping out or giving up, it's not. Not at all. There's, there's a big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Rain, I wanted to ask you if you have any more life after death stories, whether it's yourself or someone you know. I do. I definitely We love do. stories here. My sister died at a young age. She died in her 50s. And uh, she, she, because of our very tough childhood, she got very involved in drugs. And through her um, abuse of her body, her organs began failing uh, at a very early age. Mm-hmm. And so she, she really did lead a very difficult life and a life that was... Um, uncomfortable and painful at the end, the way her body began to break down. And on top of it, she was quite obese. So she had obesity problems most of her life. And um, I went to see a fabulous psychic. And I don't really usually go, she was a medium. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't necessarily go to psychics because I do believe that I create my own reality. But I did want some closure with my sister. I had not mentioned a word about it to this woman. She didn't know me. She had no idea of my history. This was before Twitter, before I was tweeting. So there was no way she would have gleaned any information. Okay. It, was, it was not on my website. And the first thing she said is, your sister is here, and she wants me to tell you she got thin. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? Yes. So how could you not believe in life after death when you get that kind of information? Because she could have said anything to you. Of course, but something so specific mm-hmm. about her weight. I thought that was amazing. And then, of course, she went on and said many other things to me as well. But... Those two were the most profound. I have had, I have had more, though. Share one more, and then if, if you can think of something. And then what I'd love to do is, because you are such a powerful, wise woman, I'd love you to have um, some of your thoughts and coaching and hear a little bit about happiness in the present moment and give us a little bit of joy for our day today. Oh, I'd love to do that. Um, the other things that have happened is my cousin... Uh, passed um, a few years back, and the family all gathered at my home. And as we gathered, the door opened. For no reason, the door 
was absolutely closed. There was no window outside. There was no wind and the door opened. And we all looked at each other with our eyes wide open and said, hi, Gary, because we knew he had joined us. Wow. Sorry about the phone ringing there. That's okay. And you also said there's a possibility of some dogs barking during the interview, which makes you even more human. Yes. It's It's no problem. We're invading on your house for inspiration today. So not a problem at all. So So, Gary walked in invisibly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Gary walked in. And then my cousin tells me that that he changes her radio station regularly to stations that he liked or songs that he liked. And it happens for her all of the time. So, you know, I have been told that, um, that once the spirit passes over, and this is before reincarnation, because I also believe in that. Okay. But once the, the spirit passes over, that the, one of the easiest things for them to affect is electricity. So, or, or uh, electronics of some sorts, uh, for example, radio waves that type of thing. And lights flicking on and off. I've certainly had that happen too. It's great. I love that kind of thing. And the thing is, is it sometimes it's hard for our rational, skeptical minds to buy into some of those things. But we're living now in 2014. And we're so used to modern day technology that we don't even think of how miraculous things could be. I mean, 100 years ago, could you imagine explaining to people what the internet is, and that there's just going to be this invisible world that you can access every bit of information through a computer that's not even hooked up to anything or a telephone that's not hooked up to anything. So we are living in a miraculous world and everything is energy. And I, I truly also believe that when we cross over, we're able to manipulate this energy, whether it's putting thoughts into our mind or how your dad was able to appear in those moments just before, you know, when you're in between sleep or um, tuning the radio to a certain channel or things like that. yeah. It's a miraculous world. It really well, is. And it's it's really no different than what you just said. Um, and I don't know if, if, if the conclusion was drawn, but for example, the idea of the internet, unheard of, but now we're so completely aware of it. And it's the same with life, life after death. We just don't have concrete proof uh, in that regard yet. But one day we will, and it will probably be as, as well-known and common as the internet is today. Yeah. I mean, what seems like magic years ago uh, is, is, is de rigueur, is every day. Yeah. I had a really great opportunity yesterday to talk to Dr. Mary Neal, and she's the author of To Heaven and Back, and she's the doctor who had uh, capsized in her kayak and spent over 15 minutes upside down underwater without air. Oh, my God. Yeah, and she's got an incredible story of uh, her near-death experience. But she was really cute talking about how a lot of people don't believe in life after death, but they will. And, And she says, it's like a really good hamburger joint. You know, one person can say, you know, Louis has got the best hamburger. And you go, ah, yeah, 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 big deal. Well, then two people say it, and then five people say it. Next thing you know, right. 15,000 people are saying that Louis has got the best hamburger. Well, you know it to be true. And I think it's a matter of conversations like this. There's a whole bunch of people out sharing about life after death and eventually it will get to be a regular conversation just like the great hamburger that life after death is real and not only am i absolutely positive it is real 
But it's so comforting, isn't it? It is comforting. How do you think, Lorraine, for yourself, that knowing that your dad's still around, your cousin's still around, your sister's still around, how do you think that impacts your life now? Well, I am not uh, certain if they're still around in spirit form, because as I said before, I do believe in reincarnation. So... I do believe that their spirit is still around, possibly uh, incarnated in another country, another world, another dimension. I mean, I don't know, but I do believe they are still available. My experience has been that there's only a certain period of time where the connection is actually made. And I do believe that may be while the spirit is waiting to come back again. So, um, it gives me a great deal of comfort to know that one day we will be reunited, whether it's heaven, if you believe in heaven, or perhaps another lifetime. And knowing that, uh, it's it's kind of a secure feeling. Yes. yes. Do you feel any bit more courageous or live on the edge a little bit more, a little bit more self-expressed because you know there's a bigger picture to life? Absolutely. First of all, I do feel that the reason I do what I do and I do stick my neck out to do it is because I am here to do what I do. I have no doubt that my higher self uh, is insisting that I do the work that I do. And it is courageous because it only lately has have things like the law of attraction or power of positive thinking. Only lately has that become so acceptable. And even in many um, uh, cultures, even in the United States, it still really isn't all that acceptable. So, yeah, I have to believe in life purpose, in a soul's journey in order to be brave enough to be thought of as a kook. At times, and, and and have been doing, you know, among among family members or social circles that may not be my tribe when it comes to this type of information. Oh, and sometimes it's our family members that can think the craziest things about us. So we really have to stick firm with our own beliefs mm-hmm. and find our tribe. And I don't think anybody means us any harm, but from their background, from what they've seen. You know, all of a sudden, Sandra, who was pretty mainstream, who would laugh at people (laughs) that believed in life after death, is now, you know, an author, has a radio show. I've turned into one of those people. (laughs) And they love me and they're proud of me and things. But still, yeah, same kind of thing. Lorraine, tell us a little bit more about what your work is. I know you're an author. I know you're a coach. But what is this whole world of happiness first and present moment and, you know, ideally... Um, again, selfishly speaking, and for you and for our listener as well. Um, but I'd love to hear some of your principles that might have us have a better day today than we would have had we not listened to this show. Well, I would love to. Thanks. Uh, to, to give you just a brief idea of, of, of why I do what I do is, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I was looking for safety. And one of the first books I picked up was The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Mm -hmm. And I learned very clearly how to create thoughts that would bring into my world the things that I wanted. So in other words, I learned how to manifest at a very, very early age. Today, we think of it as law of attraction. That's magic. Let me just cut in for a minute. When I was a little kid, I used to watch Bewitched. 
And uh-huh. I just really wished there was some way that I could create magic. And it sounds to me like you found a way to wiggle your nose and make that happen. Yeah. And that it really, I, yeah. it is real. I did. The only thing is I don't wiggle my nose and it doesn't happen quite that fast. Okay. Well, say more about that then. How, how can our thoughts really impact our reality? Well, you know, uh, there's so many, so much proof today, and quantum physics is um, is very clear on on how experiments done in the laboratory, uh, they have actually quantified how the the um, outcome changes based on the thoughts of the experimenter. That's so, in other words, yeah, and there's there's written proof of this. It's documented all over the place. And some of our greatest thought leaders, like Wayne Dyer, who is mm-hmm. one of my uh, most cherished mentors, says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And this oh. is magical. This is utterly and completely magical. And it's true. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a blog on it as we speak, practically. You gave me goosebumps from that last one. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and just a little commercial break. Your website is yourhappinessway.com. Correct? Well, it, it is. But the best way to get to it now is use my name. That's lorainegordon.com, L-O-R-A-N-E-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. And for anyone that wants a bunch of free information, information and a meditation and a free book on happiness quotes, just go ahead and subscribe and you'll get them right away as a download. That's nice. Thank you for that. Sure. And My- even at the end of the show, um, I put your face and your beautiful face, by the way, and a paragraph or two about you on my website, which is we don't die radio.com. And I will have the links to your websites and your book and your free gifts. So plenty of ways to find you. But now back to you with creating magic and thoughts. Okay, so I, I went about the majority of my younger years reading anything I could get my hands on that would help me to hone that skill and make it even better. And it works. Uh, The next book I read that I remember was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And the information is still as, as, as great today as it ever was. So anyone that wants to learn how to manifest, I teach manifestation, but pick up those books. They are just... Uh, the text, the the uh, standard for manifestation. But the problem was, as good as I got at it, one day I found myself in my magnificent backyard of my mansion because I was getting everything I wanted, uh, mansions and cars and first-class travel and, uh, you wow. know, books and uh, jewelry and, you know, I had it all. And I'm laying in my jacuzzi. I'm sort of floating in it outside, which is how I would visualize. And that's why, yeah, I have a visualization book out there too. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing more, more travel, more houses. I'm on top of a bigger hill. I've, and I heard this voice that sounded like someone was standing directly above me say, so what? And I, I would absolutely jumped out of the water. I was shocked. It felt as if there was a human being saying that to me. It almost felt as if God was saying that to me. And I looked around and no one was there. And then I thought, 
I must be imagining things. And I went back into the water and I heard it once again. Well, my meditation was over. I, I couldn't meditate. But strangely enough, I couldn't understand what that could mean. I did not allow it into my reality. Okay. I got sick. I continued trying to manifest more and more and more, and I got very, very sick. And I spent the better part of a year in bed. And all I really did was sort of order things on on home shopping networks on television (laughs) and ended up with a very angry husband who would find packages at the door daily. Right, right. And that was kind of the extent. I mean, walking up and down the the stairs was hard for me. I went to doctor after doctor, and nothing was really found. And and my peace of mind was gone. I thought of myself as a very spiritual person. And I look back at that, and I think I had the ability to be a very spiritual person, but I was really mostly a very material person. Yes, yes. And thrilled with the idea that I could create it. And I was teaching classes, by the way, on manifestation. And my students were manifesting stuff, too. This can be done. It is a skill you can learn. But finally, as I began to somewhat recover, regain a bit of peace of mind, just because I stopped trying so hard to make things happen, a very good girlfriend of mine said, your favorite teacher and mentor, Deepak Chopra, is uh, doing something in India. Let's go with him. And so we did. And I made the trek. And it was like a 48-hour trek to get oh, to India. Sure. I mean, there's Oh, it's a long, long way. And on the way to the airport, I picked up the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yes, I've read it. Isn't it amazing? It is. It's life-changing. And my way of learning material is to teach it. So I asked her if I could read a chapter myself and then teach her the chapter. And and that's how it went. So for those 48 hours, I learned that book. Now, we get to India, and I am among the greatest people I have ever met, the greatest thought leaders in a spiritual environment. And we are in a beautiful hotel, a a gorgeous ground. So we're not subjected to the sadder parts of the reality that you may see in India. And I am so miserable and depressed and sick feeling. I I left the the, uh, conference room and sort of stormed back into my room and I opened the door and I was like, damn it, if I have to be this miserable, I didn't have to travel 48 hours to to feel this way. I'm going home. Mm -hmm. And on the bed was the book. And I realized I had skipped a chapter. And the chapter I had skipped was your pain body. Now, the reason I skipped that chapter, for for everyone listening, I think that's chapter eight. I skipped it because I had had so much psychotherapy. I didn't believe, according to what Eckhart says, is your pain body. I didn't believe I had one. (laughs) So I thought I got rid of it with all the the talk therapy I had done. Sure. So I sat down and I decided I'm going to read that chapter. Well, the chapter spoke to me so loudly that I read it three times and I decided to employ exactly what he told me to do. And it said, do not think about why you're depressed. Do not concern yourself. Do not try to figure it out. Find the feeling in your body. Find the corresponding feeling in your body. And if you look for it, you will find it. And simply breathe into that area. And for the next three days, that's what I did. And at that point, I felt as if I had taken off a 100-pound lead weight, that my mission was to teach present moment awareness because that's where happiness was, that you could have everything in the world. But if you aren't here now appreciating what is, you cannot be happy. 
great words. I was just feeling my own pain body right now and started to breathe deeply <laughs> on mute. Yeah, yeah. That, the breath is is so powerful, but you have to have the awareness sure. first. You have to have the observer. So, so because of that book and that and learning that, my entire message changed. My way of teaching changed radically. I taught uh, present moment awareness for years after that. But then a very funny thing happened, Sandra. What is that, Lorraine? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I found that instead of manifesting my old way, which was, you know, when I first started doing it, it was like, think of of someone fishing and they they put something on the end of the hook Uh and then they cast out their line, right? Right. And then they catch something, and they and it's a big old shark. It's huge. And they start reeling it in, and then they have to let it out a little. And then they reel it in, then they let it. And it is continuous effort and work. It is. Rest and fear and, oh, my God, it's just, it's just consumes 100% of you. So that's really what was making me so sick. In looking back, I realized that. But I found out that once I was happy and in the present moment, my energy field changed and I was still manifesting, but more, in other words, when I wanted something and I felt good about myself and good about what I wanted, it was still appearing in my life. So that's when I created happiness first, the rest will follow. I love that. So it doesn't have to be a struggle like reeling no. in a shark. Mm-mm. It really doesn't. But my early years, that's how I did it. Yeah. So being happy, I think, and I'm sure you agree, produces some kind of an energy around us. I think a stronger energy than when we have struggle or pain or worry. Is that right? Well, I don't know if it's stronger. I wish I would like to say it's stronger because a, a dark energy can be incredibly strong. Oh, but gotcha. but. But when we feel happy, mm-hmm. um, the the re- the things that make us feel happy are feelings like love and gratitude and acceptance and compassion. Those things, when you think about them, make you feel good. It radiates from your heart and it's palpable. And as you walk into a room, people may say something like, you're very light or I see brightness around you. So it does create a field. Yes, it does. So what's, is there any secrets that you can give us of something we could maybe practice for, um, yes, putting happiness in first, but then how, and you, you mentioned to being grateful and things like that, but then what's the connection to actually get the manifestation juices flowing? Okay. So I think that the first part is to start appreciating what you have. So in other words, you may have a listener out there that says, hey, I have nothing. I'm broke and I can't pay the rent and the landlord's banging on the door. You still have to find something to appreciate, whether it's the breath you're taking right now the blue sky outside, a bird tweeting somewhere near, go into nature, do everything and anything you can to get into that state of appreciation. So in other words, appreciate what is rather than think in terms of what is not. 
Okay. And this is a habit that you ha- that you need to develop. Now, this may not work if someone is deeply depressed, but for someone that is, you know, on this journey and wanting to change their life, it it works and it works beautifully. I have coaching students that change so radically in a matter of one or two sessions. They can go from feeling badly about themselves, feeling unhappy, to feeling better about themselves, beginning to feel happy, and actually beginning to expand their horizons and attract things into their life they never had in the past. So happiness and gratitude first, and your point of view is absolutely imperative. Now, before you you have those things, though, you have to be aware. You have to employ something called the observer, which means this little part of you that's watching your thoughts, that's watching and feeding back to you information, saying, well, you're thinking of miserable thought. You're thinking, you know, about something you don't have. Yeah, you're going to feel unhappy. Let's switch our attention and put it onto something that we do have, our health. The fact that our fingers and toes move, the fact that, uh, as I said, the sky is blue. Maybe you've got a little puppy sitting next to you. Find something you like and give appreciation and gratitude. That will immediately shift your energy from a have-not to a have. Okay. When you shift your energy to a have, now you're much more able to utilize the law of attraction to bring in what you want. So... To understand the law of attraction, you attract to yourself an equal energy match to what you are. If you're giving a lot of attention to what you don't have, an equal energy match to that is to bring you more that you don't and can't have. Give an example, if you could. Okay, sure. Let's say um, I'm not going to use me because luckily I'm happily married for 34 years. But I do have clients that come to me, often women, who are looking to find love and marriage. And I'm happy to say often they do. But how about um, I can never get the right kind of guy. Okay. All men are scum. Everyone, (laughs) they all cheat. And most people I see that are married, um, the man's cheating on the wife or he's a lazy bum or something like that. Okay. Okay. So what I get these particular girls to do is to start looking at things in their life that they can feel good about. We don't start necessarily with men. Let's start with something that they can feel good about that they love, that they have, that they feel secure in. And and you don't have to look too far to find that. And once they're feeling, and this happens usually within one session, once they're giving their attention to what they are rather than what they aren't, to what is possible rather than what isn't possible, then we can start looking at beliefs, are your beliefs necessarily true? So in other words, the assumption that you come up with based on a situation is no more than a belief that was taught to you probably by an early caregiver. And were they always right? Hmm. So you begin to look at your beliefs and your assumptions and to question them. And that's when possibilities start to show up. And when possibilities start to show up, that's when you can start manifesting those things into your life. And do you have examples of people that have actually manifested dream relationships? Absolutely. I had one uh, coaching client a few months ago that was attracting um, 
she was attracting kind of uh, good-looking bums into her life. In other words, <laughs> they would come in. And she's she's uh, in school to become a doctor, and she's very, very beautiful, gorgeous girl in her late early 30s, uh, never been married. Um, her father uh, and mother had a tumultuous relationship, and she was attracting good-looking guys that made tons of promises but basically laid on the sofa while she did all the work and drank beer. Wow. And when she would talk to people in her church and the places that she had her social circle and tell them what she wanted in a man, they would tell her she was crazy, that she was just looking for too much, that she was not grateful for what she had, uh, that that's how men were. And when she talked to her mother, uh, she thought her stepfather had been very nice to her. And then she found out from her mother that what was hidden from her was that he was beating her mother behind closed doors, and the kids didn't know about it. Wow. Then when she talked to her uncle, he would tell her that, once again, she was, stri- she was striving too high, that mm-hmm. what she wanted was asking too much of life. And so, you know, we had a couple of sessions, and then by the time we got to about the, thir- the fourth session, she told me that um, she had felt abused and taken advantage of by these men. And then she- we were talking about how... It's not what you think 5% of the time that creates your reality. So go back to the law of attraction for a moment. Okay. You attract what you are. So if you are thinking positive affirmations for 5 minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes a day, that's fine and dandy. But the rest of the time, your energy field is what it is and has been unless you change it. So she said to me, Lorraine, I'm doing all the exercises and the work that you want me to do, but does it matter what I think when I'm at work? And I said, well, yeah, what are you thinking at work? She said, I'm thinking that every time I hire somebody, they profess to be one thing and they turn into something else and I end up having to take responsibility for them. Mm -hmm. And I drew the conclusion or the correspondence with her that that's exactly what the men in her life had done. And she was pretty surprised to see that. Wow. It sounds like we have like a magnetic pull towards things. So if we spend... 100% of our day or even 95% of our day being one way and then we go meditate for five minutes and you know think these positive rosy gratitude thoughts like it doesn't mean anything unless we can get under the 95% and really change our being and our thinking. So true and so but I want to tell you the beautiful end to that story. We worked on that And a couple of weeks later, I said, you know, you're not complaining about uh, the people at work any longer. And she said, yeah, because they're not showing, they're not acting that way any longer. Isn't that something? (laughs) Yeah. But what's really something is three months later, her Prince Charming walked into her life. And they they ended up getting married. So, you know, it's, um, it is magical. There is no question about it. The way you, uh, that when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You see, you create your reality from your point of view. Wow. I've been listening on tape to um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a fabulous um, book. Fabulous. Carnegie. Yeah. And the title to me is a little bit, sounds a little strategic and a little slimy, but it, it really isn't. And one of the things I heard yesterday when I was out for my walk is when you really appreciate someone and you remember their name and you really care about them, genuinely find things you're interested in, right. how 
much better that relationship is, how much people flourish, how many jobs are offered to them. And that's human to human. And then even thinking um, of ourselves, you know, if we were to criticize another person, how far are you going to get? Not very far at all. Well, if you give love and appreciation to someone else, they flourish. So we need to be giving that love and appreciation back to ourselves. And I heard something else from Louise Hay about a month ago. And she had everybody visualize a little kid at Christmas time. Um, and no matter what the kid gets, whether it be a toy or just a pair of socks, the kid is filled with appreciation. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, how much more likely are you going to give to that kid? 100%. You know, when you when somebody really shows appreciation, you want to give. And so Louise was comparing it to the powers of the universe the more we are that little kid grateful and it might be a silly way of saying it but it really hit home for me the more grateful we are the more that will come and I don't know why I don't know how but it does happen and it feels good and that's the law of attraction and that's why gratitude is the basis for happiness and the using the law of attraction to get what you want yeah, Lorraine, exactly. Um, some of us fight with negative thoughts, some and of uh, some of us, <laughs> some of us more so than others. No, I don't know about that. But is there some kind of a daily practice that could be put in to remember this? Because all well and good that we're talking for this hour now, and then I'll go on with my day, and it'd be very easy to forget. Do you have any? tools for maybe a little practice to put in to remember gratitude or remember happiness first? Well, I think that first you have, you, you, what I do with, with a new student to begin with is to teach them a diaphragmatic breathing exercise. And I insist that they practice this deep breathing at least four times a day. And that would be where you breathe in deeply through your nose and your belly actually balloons out. So you're bringing that oxygen down so deep into your, the bottom of your lungs, which actually the bottom of your lungs is somewhere near your waist. So you breathe in, the belly balloons out. Can we do it just Yeah, now? let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Everybody so do it. it. Do we have to be sitting up straight or it doesn't it's matter? It's better. Okay. Better. Okay. So, so I'll count. We'll, we'll do a four, a four breath. So okay. we'll breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four and hold for four. Okay. So breathing in, two, three, four, hold, two, Three, four, breathing out, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. Good. And I would have my clients and my students, and I've taught so many classes on this, practice this four, four breath. And truly, the four, four breath means you do what you just did, only you do it four full times. Okay. And I would have them make a promise to me that they would do it a minimum of four times a day. So upon waking, somewhere in the middle of the day, somewhere near dinner, and then sometime before you go to sleep. This immediately begins to quiet down that yakking in the mind. You see, the yakking, that nonstop yakking in the mind is where our inner ogre is, where that (laughs) critic is. Inner ogre, I haven't heard that before. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know that inner ogre well. Yeah, got lots of blog posts on that. Yes. The, the inner ogre has to be recognized, and that's how you begin to diminish those thoughts. This, the breathing exercise and learning to quiet your mind allows you to notice when that inner ogre begins to take you over, and you can deal with it before you go and you fall into a miserable frame of mind or a depression or a deep sadness or, or before you, you, know, you kick the dog or slam the door. Right. So then the next thing to do, and I'm giving you such a brief, brief idea of it. but That's okay. It helps. It does. Once you realize that the inner ogre is talking and you're, you become aware of the voice, you hear it, that voice that says, you're never going to make it, or you're not pretty enough, or all men stink, or uh, you're not smart enough to pass that class, or whatever it is, or no one's supporting you, whatever victim feeling you might be having, and usually that's kind of it, you can say, oh, hi, inner ogre, that's you, and take another deep breath. And that's all you do. And you do it over and over and over again. And eventually, inner ogre becomes, I don't want to say it becomes your friend, but you, it does not have the power to take you over. You don't fight it. You don't push against it because it's very, very, very strong. And as soon as you begin getting into a tug of war, it'll push back. You just recognize it. That's all you do. You accept it and recognize it and take a breath. That's it. And realizing the inner ogre isn't, us it's just inner inner ogre and i just by doing that deep breath just now it really um not only did it feel good and it calming but it did bring me in the present moment so i see how i could easily from there just kind of pay attention be the observer listen to the inner ogre and for me i have an iphone which you know i'm always on checking emails and notes for the day but there actually is a way to program an alarm that can go off a few times mm-hmm. a day. And maybe when that alarm goes off, that's the cue to do the deep breathing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, four, four times a day is a minimum. But once you recognize the power of something as simple as your breath, you're more apt to turn to it when you do feel stressed. And physiologically, when we're stressed, when we're feeling sad or like a victim or angry, the truth is we begin to breathe in a much more shallow manner. Yes. And, yeah. And and we don't get oxygen into our brain. We don't get it into our cells. And, and we're, we're in no way helping ourselves. But when you realize you can do it in public and it's free, how many other things that make you feel good can you really say that about? Not too many. (laughs) Lorraine, our time is coming to an end, but I just want you to look to see if there's anything left unsaid. I mean, I know there's a whole wealth behind you, but just anything that you can say that might just help us to have a little bit better of a day or maybe give us a challenge. At the end, I say some things often like my favorite quote by Neil Donald Walsh is life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So it might be to step into the unknown and and have a new result today or try something new. But any closing thoughts or just maybe something that we can each try today? Well, yeah. I think if you're aware of a negative thought or point of view that you may have, you might want to say to yourself, how would a happy person, a joyful person, or an optimistic person view the same situation? Just ask yourself that question. Say it one more time. When you notice yourself having an unhappy thought, something you believe that's true, ask yourself, 
How would a happy, joyful person, a positive person, think about the same situation? How would they see it? I had you say that a second time just so I could pick a situation and and kind of laugh at myself that the happy person would just kind of blow it off. It's just another day. You've dealt with far bigger things. You can certainly deal with this. Right. Let's go find something fun. You see, because also the more you dwell on this, the more you add to your pain body. But that's a whole other show. That's a whole other (laughs) show that we can do. Well, Lorraine, thank you from the bottom of my heart, my friend, for taking this time with us today. It was my pleasure. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Really fun. And for our listener, thank you for taking the time. I know with the time you have, you don't have to be on the computer or on your phone looking for a podcast or radio show, but you chose to be here. And I really hope it's been a value. I really do, because I keep trying. And I love comments. I love feedback. If you go to wedontdieradio.com, you can contact Sandra, leave your comments. I invite you, too, to go to iTunes and leave a rating or review. Believe it or not, people read those. And what you have to to say might make the difference that'll have somebody listen and have somebody get some inspiration for their day or there's many people grieving and hearing a story about life after death really could be the thing to give them hope that their loved one is still around. This is Sandra Champlain. I do believe with all my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. And in the words of our beautiful guest, Lorraine Gordon, happiness first, the rest will follow. And I invite each one of us to find and feel that happiness today. Take that deep breath and and I think that's it. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon.